This is Via VHS. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the VAVHS Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Wesley, and I'm here with my co-host, Spencer Scott Holmes, also known as Pete Provo. And uh, you can call me Rex Daytona if you want to. It's whatever you want to do. Um, our aliases, our code names, our double O um, <laughs> monikers, I guess you could say. Yeah, a little bit of our secret agent names and so mm. on. Keep it kind of mysterious and yeah. fun. Uh, we uh, I called an audible. We we had a movie planned, and uh, we're still going to do that movie. I know we both want to really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's actually a double feature. Is well, it, is two it, movies. Yes, two movies. Yes, double feature. Actually, this is going to be a double feature. I think. I saw the last trailer for No Time to Die. I th- I'm assuming it's the last trailer. It's coming out. You know, about a month from today. Uh, I believe. I think it's October 8th. I think is when it comes out. Yeah, it's like the very beginning of October because, yeah, I saw that trailer pop. I got to see it in theaters, too. I saw it when I went to go see, uh, I think, Shang-Chi. Okay. I think that was where it popped up at. Ooh, we got to talk about that, too. But um, you and we have a lot of similar interests, and then we also have very different interests when it comes to movies. And we have similar things that we like, but I think this is the one franchise that we both love. Like, we're both, like, we both love Bond. I think you so more definitely than me. I didn't. I wasn't a big Bond fan as a kid, mm-hmm. but at later, Daniel Craig's Bond had a lot to do with this. I became a big Bond fan later on, and um, so we decided that hey, you know what? Let's do some, let's do some Bond movies. We were going to do the Pierce Brosnan ones, but you mentioned let's do the, um, you know, let's do the Dalton ones. Let's do those, the Dolan Dalton films, and uh, see what happens there. So I'm excited. Yeah, same. I mean, like, because 007, that's, like, the thing that, like, I've, I've liked 007 ever since being, like, a real little kid. Like, I would watch them, because like, my parents pretty much introduced them, like, oh, you gotta watch the 007 movies. These are a classic thing here. And then um, when GoldenEye came out, they're like, well, you gotta go see it in theaters now. And so it started with kind of GoldenEye in theaters, seeing the, the old ones on TV and so on like that. And then um, from that point on, I've never missed a Bond movie. The nice thing is they generally always come out right around my birthday. So mm. it's always like a birthday thing. No Time to Die. It was originally going to be in November on my birthday. Then it went to like May or whatever the heck it was or April. And then it like went like, we're going to go back. And then we're not going to show it. And then now it's in October. So oh, I don't know. It's, you know, it jumps around. But So a lot to talk about that. We'll, we'll kind of the beginning of the show kind of just uh, chat about Bond for a little bit. So if you're really excited for the Rewind review, you can skip forward. But we're going to talk about a little bit of James Bond for a while. And um, interesting thing about this um, jumping forward ahead in time. When people listen to this episode in about a month or so, they might be able to look back at what I'm about to say and be like, wow, you're an idiot. And this had nothing to do with anything. But I was on Reddit the other day, and one of the main threads was uh, movie conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of really interesting stuff on there, stuff I've never heard of, people ghost directing films and different things like that. And um, one of the things uh, that was mentioned is uh, 
a conspiracy theory that they have about No Time to Die is that while this film was delayed quicker than almost any other film, it was the first one to be delayed, and it's been pushed mm-hmm. back more than almost any other film. You look at like Black Widow. Yeah. It, you know, it, it was delayed a year, but it started to come out. It's, it's been delayed so many times. There's a theory that the villain has a biochemical weapon and is releasing, trying to release some sort of virus. And it kind of throws you back into that 9-11 mode where everything was changed because of 9-11. Yep. And it, there's there's some people that think that there might be a biochemical aspect to this film. And that's why it was pushed back so much, which is interesting to me. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, the, the, that's, that's an interesting theory. Mm-hmm. I do think that realistically it's just that thing that 007, they knew that this is their big, you know, cash cow. I mean, when Apple offered them, like, you know, they offered them, like, a god-awful amount of money. They'd There's be like, hey, can we just... Can we just have the movie and we'll play it? We'll just play it on Apple, you know, whatever TV first. And they're like, "No, we can make more money than that." So it's like that ballsy statement right there was kind of like, "Hmm." And then when it was supposed to be released last year, when we had that glorious three weeks of movie theaters came back for a moment, and they, you know, they tested it with Tenet, and that was pretty much the movie that says like, "Hey, if Tenet can make some money, then maybe we can make some money." And then when Tenet wasn't able to make enough money, they're like. Yeah, nope, nope, nope. You're not, you're not getting those movies yet. We're gonna hold off on them still. So I think it's more just one of those ones, like they just want to make that real, true money off of it and try to get as many people going. Now, strangely, it's still like you know, the movie theaters are back, but I, even the average person doesn't really realize that movie theaters are still open. You know what I mean? It's like they still, some people just still have this mindset, like, oh, they must still be closed and so on like that. Because you know, you'll go to like a premiere of something, like even like Shang Chi, just not that long ago. Which probably two years ago, that movie would have came out and it would have been, you know, maybe not filled to the brim like, you know, an Avengers flick. But I bet you it would have had at least like a two-thirds capacity. And it probably had about eh, a little under a half, I noticed. And that's always how I can kind of judge, like, sort of how kind of thing it is. So it's doing good, but still kind of at that, like, okay, let's still tiptoe in here. And i probably even say maybe not even a half. Who knows? You know what I mean? Maybe even a little bit less than that. So it'll be interesting to see if this 007, because this movie is almost like a three-year waiting movie. When you kind of break it down, this movie was shot like probably three years ago. It was supposed to come out in April of 2020. Um, it, which well, is, I thought it was supposed to come out. No, it was supposed to come out in November 2019 originally. I thought, wasn't it? I think maybe, but they uh, pretty quickly settled on that because the first, if that was the case, and the first time it was delayed had nothing to do with the coronavirus, it was just delayed. For yeah, and maybe maybe I'm just kind of making making that part up right there. But for some reason, I thought this movie was supposed to be there and then it went but like i mean early on like one of those ones like hey we got some stuff more to shoot like like a natural kind of like hey let's yeah let's get this going yeah so it was uh, the first like tenant like solid concrete release date i think was i think was april 2020 mm-hmm. and then of course we're in the yeah. throes of covid by then we're about a month in and when everybody's freaking out still no you know we don't know how to handle all this and it's all new territory and then and then it was, it's been moved so many times. I can't even keep up. Because I think it was supposed to come out last November, which I remember you and I discussing. I'm like, oh, well, that's exciting because it's Bond's supposed to be in November. Yeah, maybe that's why I'm getting kind of confused yeah. right there. I think, yeah, because I, I know you and I discussed that. And I was, I was excited about that, too, because April just felt like a weird-ass time. Well, yeah, I was like, that's not a really, Bond time to come out. No. Like, what are you guys gambling right here with? You know yeah. what I mean? Like. April's a, a weird time to come out for any giant movie, in a sense. I think in, initially they were trying, looking back at what it, what was the landscape at the time. It's so weird now. But I think they were trying to avoid Dune. 
um, mm-hmm. in some other movies. And I think there was a maybe another Sony release that was conflicting with it. So yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. But either way, it's been pushed around so many times. I'm sad, though, that the Craig Air is coming in to an end. I mean, I'll, I'll welcome the, whoever the new Bond is with open arms. Um, yeah. But it is sad. Yeah, well, it's one of those ones. I mean, like, you know, 007 is kind of like, by this point, you sort of expect it's like, hey, he's going to change, you know, no matter what, it, you know, handful of movies in or something like that. It's just kind of how it is and something. And, you know, I think that's just kind of to be expected with Bond. You know, I, I know Daniel Craig kind of, since it kind of did the thing where instead of being like continuation of the series, they kind of did like the reboot thing, which I remember kind of threw me off when those first came out. Like, what? You reboot it? And it's like, what do you mean? Like, we've had this, like, legacy going on. You're going to, like, start over? Because I literally thought when the Casino Royale was first going to come, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're going to make that, like, a prequel. That's going to be an awesome idea. Like, because I always thought, like, yeah, make it, like, a 1950s Bond movie, and it takes place, you know, before Dr. No. And then it's like, oh, no, 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 they're just doing a straight reboot, you know. But um, even though I'll, I enjoy all those movies for what they are, you know, and so on. But, um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they want to go with next and continue on and so on. But um, I'm down for any 007. I don't care. I think it's going to be, uh, I, I thought for the, somebody mentioned the front runner for bond and I cannot remember who it is now for a while there. I thought it was going to be, I might be saying his name wrong. Richard Madden, who was, um, mm-hmm. um, he, I think he had some type of thriller show on Netflix, but he was also obviously in game of Thrones and he was in that rocket man movie. I, I always thought Taron Egerton would have been a great one from the Kingsman movies. Yeah, I thought. Well, because that was almost the one when when Kingsman came out. I just remember going like, "Oh my god, these guys are doing literally like what what James Bond's almost supposed to be." Because you know, is, don't get me wrong, I like the Daniel Craig ones, but I remember like that's the ones where they they really grounded in reality and take away the gadgets and take away the spectacles and all this kind of stuff. And they're they're still really fun, but it's like one of those ones like I've always kind of liked Bond where he's got you know it's not just Bond himself, but there's the cool gadgets, there's the big scenery, there's all there's all like the different stuff that kind of comes into play. Sometimes even the slightly over the top story and you know what have you yeah i think it's different stuff for different times i think now we'd get a little more kitschy with it if it was made you know the next round but i mm-hmm. my personal favorite bond movies are the the um craig movies i i think they balance mm-hmm. they bring just enough of that silly stuff in and it but it just meshes so well but but the cinematography and just the mm-hmm. overall filmmaking, in my opinion, from the for the Craig movies, just goes up another level. I mean, now, granted, there's some great cinematography in this one too. Uh, oh yeah, Living yeah. Daylights. It's a good looking film. Uh, I I'll, I'll reserve my thoughts for what I thought about it as we review it. But I had a fun time revisiting this one. But um, I say since you said that you say Daniel Craig, do you say that's your favorite Bond out of all of them? Personally, yeah. I think, and I don't know if it's that he's my favorite Bond. It's just that that's my favorite. Those are my favorite Bond movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Pierce Brosnan to me is the more quintessential, just in terms of image. Aesthetically, yeah. he's he's the most James Bond there is. Like, um, you could take those the Craig movies and turn them into just regular spy thrillers, and take the Bond aspects out of them. And it would mm-hmm. still kind of work, but um, in terms of just what James Bond is, I think Daniel Craig hit the nail on the head um, with those. But I love those Craig movies so much. 
Yeah, no, they're, they're super good and so on. And I do kind of think that, like, when I think of Pierce Brosnan, I think he's, like, almost, like, the most, like, definitive, like, the, like when you hit all the aspects, like, he really just defines 007 as, like, a whole. Like, I feel like he captures, like, all the elements of not beyond just the books to, like, Sean Connery era, Roger Moore era, you know, Timothy Dalton, George Lazenby, and so on. But um, actually, my favorite Bond movies, though, they're Roger Moore ones. Really? That's my favorite 007. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think if if I would have watched those as a kid, I would probably feel the same way. I think it's kind of like to me, I'm in the middle of watching Star Trek right now. And it's mm-hmm. the difference between watching the original series and the next generation. Don't get me wrong, both are corny as hell. I mean, they're both <laughs> corny as hell. So <laughs> I'm not but there's a little bit more it's it's so crazy to say because it takes place in such a far-flung place, but it's a little bit more grounded and a little less mm-hmm. whimsical TNG. And that's how I feel about the films after I like, I like there to be just a little bit of an edge, but they, mm-hmm. they pulled off some of the traditional bond stuff in this movie. I thought really well, and it was about as cool as it had ever been up to that point. I thought, but yeah. um, anyway, we'll, we'll get to that. But um, who's your, so you, your favorite bond is, um, Roger, Roger Moore. Moore. That's your favorite Bond? That's my favorite Bond. Oh, man. It's really It's one of those ones, like, I like. I, I just love, like, all the Roger Moore ones. Like, I, I like all that, like, era of his. I mean, I like every Bond. There's not a Bond I... There's not a single Bond movie, like, I dislike at all, like, in a sense. See, like, it's just including some of, like, maybe this, the other, like, knockoff ones. Like, I don't... The 1967 Casino Royale one, I never really cared for that one. I know it's not really Double Seven. It's more of a spoof, but that one's just kind of goofy, and I mean... It should be amazing when you look at the cash. It's got Orson Welles and Woody Allen and like all these people in there. You know what I mean? It should be like, and then it's like, eh, mm. and David Neven and all that stuff. But um, I mean, I know that's more of a spinoff, you know. And then there's you know, Never Say Never Again, which is kind of like a Thunderball remake, you know. But that's all doing to like certain people having different rights to different movies, and the only way to keep those rights is to make that movie. Yeah, I, I haven't hated any Bond movie. I've definitely been disappointed. In Bond movies, um, you know, and people like to like, and I've actually liked all the Craig ones a lot. That's another reason why I think he's one of my favorites. Even Quantum mm-hmm. of Solace, where people like to take a shit on it, I like that one. I really like Quantum of Solace. It has its problems. Don't get me wrong, but I actually really like it. Well, that was one of those movies. I remember the first time I saw it in theaters, I was like, "Wait a second, this feels like such an off Bond film," and so on. But the more I watched it, I'm like, "No, I actually like this one quite a bit." It's like. It is really dialed. I think it throws you off at first because it is kind of just different and so on like that. But once you kind of get into it, it's really good. And also it has, you know, there's the whole thing about MGM was basically imploding at the time. Yeah. It was having so many problems. I mean, so you almost have to give them a mulligan for that film. And I think it's still pretty good. But um, anyway, before we get into the Rewind Review, we have to go back in time. And we're going to do that via... The Flashpack Portal. So again, the flashback portal, this is just the time where we 
whatever the rewind review of that week is, we go back to the week it was released and kind of look at the box office. We look at the music charts and maybe some other pop culture elements. Um, this is going to be kind of like a, a, it's going to be a little bit faster than most flashback portals. We're going to kind of breeze through it a little bit, and the reason why is because there's another episode that may or may not be released due to some unforeseen technical difficulties. We're trying to figure that out. But we, when I called the Audible and decided to do this film, uh, do Living Daylights, I didn't realize it was the week before the film that we just reviewed last week. It literally comes out the week before. So a lot of the music <laughs> charts and a lot of the box office is kind of the same. But in the event that the other episode is not released, I'm still going to go through this stuff. And uh, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. It's a week's difference. It's a week's Jeez. different. It's one different. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so <clears throat> let's look at the domestic box office from uh, the week of July 31st uh, through August 6th, 1987. Um, the Living Daylights released this week, obviously, coming in at number one, grossing $17 million at the box office. Pretty, pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Coming in hard and heavy. I think everybody just wants to see what this new Bond's all about. Yeah, everybody wants to know what this Dalton kid's going to bring to the table. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they, they brought it out. And uh, looking back at this, you know, we just have to say, this wasn't a November release. That's something that you and I got accustomed to. But back then, mm-hmm. I guess they were all summer releases. Yeah. So, anyway. I like the November thing still. Yeah, I, I still do, too. Yeah. Uh, number two, The Lost Boys. Oh yeah, yeah. I got another big one coming in right there. Another big one coming. Vampires in Santa Cruz. Vampires in Santa Cruz, which they honestly should have named that movie. I think. I, th- I think that would have been a much more like easier selling. Lost Boys, just you know, it's, oh, that almost just sounds like oh, it's going to be like a spinoff Peter Pan movie. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. Yeah, no. The Lost, uh, yeah, the Vampires of Santa Cruz sounds very B movie, but also very interesting. Um, La Bamba coming in at number three. Uh, summer School uh, coming in at number four. Um, a little film, uh, RoboCop. Just a little one. Just a little Paul Verhoeven one Just coming at you. Just a little Paul you. Verhoeven, like an indie art flick that um, you may have not – I've heard of it because I'm in the know. Yeah, because you, you know, it's got Red Foreman as the bad guy. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Most people don't know anything about that. I'm just really – I'm just kind of hip, so um, – and Snow White and the Seven Dwarves at six, and Superman, Quest for Peace at a seventh. You know, yada, yada, yada. There's not much really cool on here. Jaws of Revenge <laughs> coming yeah. in 12. So, childhood classic right there. Childhood classic. Uh, the reason I was still continuing on this is going down. There was two other films released this week. A film called uh-huh. Made to Order, M-A-I-D. Um, mm-hmm. A spoiled rich girl is visited by her fairy, uh, fairy godmother and turned into a maid. Sounds... Shitty fairy godmother. Like, yeah, exactly. Hey, hey, you came up. You're gonna give me a wish. Yeah, you're gonna work. It's reverse Cinderellas. That I guess what they're going yeah. for. Um, cast information. Who's in this mess? I just gotta know. Oh, never mind. It's not gonna show me. But yeah, made to order. And then another film um, called Oviri. It's a biographical film. Is. Yeah. Uh, Donald Sutherland follows uh, the painter as he returns to Paris. Blah blah blah. Yeah, it grows. Oh, I do like Donald Sutherland. Yeah, I do too. And this film grossed a whole sixty-five thousand two hundred and eighty dollars. <laughs> hey, you know what? 
And it probably all went to Dallas Sutherland. <laughs> yeah, it probably <laughs> did. What is this shit? Um, so, yeah, there's your box office for the week of um, July 31st through August 6th, 1987. Living Daylights beats everyone's ass. As oh, Bond yeah. should. Mm-hmm. As Bond should. Um, let's go to the music charts from um, 19... Uh, this will be August 1st, 1987. So we're, it's really the next week, but whatever. Um, the, the 31st is kind of mixed in there. So, um, mm-hmm. Shakedown by my boy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bob Seeger, number one. Yep. I, holding strong there. I can't tell you how much I love Bob Seeger. I really, really love Bob <laughs> Seeger so much. Um, we got Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For by U2. We're still searching. Yeah. They're still searching, you, you know. You never know. Alone by Heart. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. A um I want your sex. Oh yeah. yeah sorry. No. That's from that's from the Beverly Hills uh two soundtrack, right? It is. <laughs> I didn't yeah, or Beverly Hills Cop. I should I should specify, you shouldn't just say Beverly Hills, but you know. I was like, well, that's what I think of that song from, is it comes right off the second album. Yeah. Or, you know, second soundtrack. Second soundtrack, yeah. It's a shakedown, obviously, as well. Um, the You know what's going to get you? The rhythm. Mm-hmm. The rhythm. Rhythm's going to get you. Gloria Stefan and the Miami Sound Machine coming at number five. A little bit of Heart and Soul. Mm-hmm. A T-Pow. Um, let's see. Cross My Broken Heart by the Jets. Luca by Suzanne Vega. And... Uh, I want to dance with somebody. When the Houston, oh, that's that's that, that's still like almost that's like a number one song still. They play that song non damn stop, man. Oh yeah, I, I saw a list and that that song was at the number one of the most uh, requested songs when people go to ask for a, a tune to be played. Really, that's the number one. Yeah. Wow, that's shocking. Yeah. Kind of. Um, what what's it to you, my Robbie Neville? Running out your top ten, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, yeah, hey, girls, 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 Motley Crue's coming, Motley Crue, yeah, number number thirteen, and it's just kind of a, uh, yeah, it's there, you know, the music charts are just there, nothing super great, but um, yeah, that's your um, <laughs> that is your um, music charts, uh, for the week of um, August thirty first, I'm sorry, July thirty first. Um, 1987. It might sound very similar to the next episode, which is the next <laughs> week, but we'll see. I'm not really sure how we're going to handle that situation, but that's your um, billboard charts. And the next film, um, spoiler alert, will be the next Timothy Dalton film. So um, it'll be a whole different set of stuff there. So that was not released the same week as Masters of the Universe, I'm pretty damn sure. Yeah, so, exactly. So at least we have that going for us. We're rounding out the 80s. Is that 80? Yep, yep. That's 89, right? It's 89. Yeah. It's still like, because there's, there's that nice, there's almost like that big section. It's like a six year gap, like, which is the longest 007 one, you know, for the most part between, you know, License to Kill and Goldeneye. It's almost like there's enough space in there that Timothy Dalton could have got a third movie. Wait, is it, did, did this Bond beat it? So the last one, Spectre was, Spectre was released. Wasn't it released before The Force Awakens? I almost want to say Spectre was um, like 2014 or 15. I want to say it was 2015. I want to say it was released a month before A Force Awakens. 
Yeah, it might have been because it, it, it's been a long time. So this one does beat it because of at least, you know, the two year delay. Wow, that's crazy. And it's still the same bond. Yeah, November 6, yeah. 2015 yeah, to October so. 8, 2021. Well, it, almost. So six. that's that's like the exact same yeah. length almost. Is almost six years. That. But technically, it, it's shorter because if you disinclude the delay. But yeah. But yeah. That, that's almost the weird thing between that and there. And it's like, so cr- it is kind of a bummer that there's not that extra, like, Timothy Dalton film, I feel like. Yeah. it's This is, um, so Craig's been done with Bond, really, for, you know, going on two years at this point. He's mm-hmm. had this wrapped in back. He might have to do a little bit of press for this thing. Yeah. But he's rolling in that Netflix money he just got. Because they did, I think he just got paid a ridiculous, I mean, an ass load of money to do the Knives Out sequels for Netflix. Are they just, now are they gonna do them? Because I remember when I was done watching that movie, I'm like, I just want to like I I could just follow Daniel Craig's character around and have him just go on different murder mystery like yeah. investigations. Is that what they're yeah. doing? It's see that that right there is the perfect. That's what I would love is just to have that. It sounds to me, yeah, it's not gonna be a direct sequel to the narrative of Knives Out. It's gonna be you know he's it's essentially Agatha Christie Hercule Poirot, but it's. Mm-hmm. Daniel, whatever Daniel Craig's character's name is, I can't remember. Um, yeah. Which Knives Out, you, I know you loved it. I loved it. That I movie did. was so damn good. Um, I might actually watch that tomorrow night because we've been trying to get my um, grandmother-in-law to watch it because we know she'll love it. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So I might, I might pop that on tomorrow night if I have a little bit of time because Thursday night, I'm going to be busy. It's football. Football's coming back. Oh. Yeah, it's a big deal. Come back. Come back big and... Big and hard. Big and hard. It just Big just giant and massive. Just so yeah. So anyway, yeah. So that's your flashback portal for the week. Um let's um let's take a quick break. Let's catch our breaths and um that way we can have the energy to jump into this adrenaline fueled excitement that is the living daylights. We'll be right back. Welcome back 
we're jumping into the rewind review. And um, I'm excited about this one. We call that audible, as I've mentioned a couple times. We decided to go the bond route instead of what we were doing. Um, decided to save the other stuff for later. Let's talk about some bond before No Time to Die comes out. And through some deliberation and some uh, democratic conversation between you and I, we decided to do the Dalton films. And boy, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so glad we did that. So we're doing the Living Daylights. And um, just real quick, obviously July 31st, 1987 is the release date. James Bond is sent to investigate a KGB policy to kill all enemy spies and uncovers an arms deal that potentially has major global ramifications. Oh, man. Oh, it will do. It's, it's almost, this movie's kind of like, sort of like Bond in like a Rambo 3-ish, <laughs> but not maybe as extreme as Rambo 3. But it's like, you know what I mean? It's, more, it's like the more realistic Rambo 3, I guess you would yeah. say. I, I love Rambo 3. I'm not putting that down, but I'm just saying that's, it's, it's Bond. And he's going to be dealing, you know, in Afghanistan and having Soviets come in and stuff. But instead of the Afghans going to be the bad guys, it's the Soviets and he's going to. You know, uncover a plot. It's old school 007 style. Yeah, it's very. It's a. To, it's a huge tone change from the last ones, isn't it? Yeah, well, because this one's the one that kind of has. It definitely before the Daniel Craig ones kind of came out. These were the ones that sort of felt like, hey, these feel kind of like you know how the books sort of are. You know, it's a little bit more kind of like grounded and spy oriented. I mean, they're still got the gadgets and still carries over like the stuff that the movies kind of built up and so on as time did. But, you know, you just brought it down just a little bit from the Roger Moore era, you know, just not nearly as over the top. You know, you get to the classic, like, hey, it's Bond investigating into like kind of like Soviet Union type stuff, you know, um, you know, yeah, just it's got he's a little bit more hard. He's a little bit more like, you know, Timothy Dalton's a little bit more of a stern Bond and so on like that, you know, Still carries the charm and the wit and everything like that, but he's like also the kind of Bond that you know you you wouldn't question him just like cold blood murdering somebody, kind of like a Sean Connery style. Yeah, he's definitely a little bit meaner, more rough and tumble, and uh, his pimp hand strong. Um, I guess is the best way to say that. He's he's um, you know what this film kind of feels like is like um, like Schumacher got a hold of Batman. And then he made those those two weird movies, and then Christopher Nolan comes, comes in. He's like, enough of that shit. <laughs> like, enough of that shit. Whatever you were doing, we're not doing that. And they they kind of changed the tone. And um, man, you know, I have I have seen these, but mm-hmm. um, really long time. It was this was this felt like a first watch actually. I was going to say, because the thing is about the Timothy Dalton ones is these are kind of, in a sense, sort of like some of the lost era Bond films. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the George Lazenby is another one that's in that kind of like sort of lost, but George Lazenby still has like that real ginormous story plot in there that like is why I think it's remembered a lot more than anything else. I mean, I love that movie a lot, and I think George Lazenby is actually really good and so on like that. I wish he would have done more, but you know, he's just a, he's just such a carefree spirit that he, you know, he could turn down 5007 movie contract and just say, hey, I'm going to go do some motocross. <laughs> See you guys. I'm going to grow a beard too. <laughs> you you got to give a guy credit when he just says like, you know what, you know, I just wanted to try it out and I'm going to kind of go on and do my thing. Yeah. The whole story of how he became 007 is incredible, too. How he just yeah. one day decided, yeah, I kind of want to be that guy. And, uh, yeah. you know, did his whole thing. And the Dalton thing, Dalton and Brosnan uh, both were just kind of like the bridesmaid for a really long time for Bond. I mean, Roger, Well, because even, 
I was just going to say, is Timothy Dalton, speaking of George Lazenby, Timothy Dalton was actually considered at that time period for Honor Matchy's Secret Service, but they're like, no, nah, he's just too young right now. We don't want like a 20-year-old Bond. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess is fair to say, but he really, I mean, Roger Moore, how long did he hold that post down? I mean, better part of a... It's from 73 to 85. Wow, yeah, so you got a 12-year span in there where Roger Moore is holding that thing down. So we, it gave some time to age to Timothy Dalton mm-hmm. and um, become more mature and kind of get a scope of what he wanted his bonds to be. But but even in that mix, you know, Brosnan was being considered. So it's really weird. It's almost yep. like they had forgotten about Dalton. And after more, they were like, we're going to go to Pierce Brosnan. And then the, the whole snafu with Remington Steele, which is super yeah. interesting. Like some of the most interesting movie trivia I've ever read. About how NBC was pretty much being a dickhole. Yeah, they're like, nope, you're you are not taking our lead actor. That's messed up, man. I mean, he still got to do it, so it turned out okay. But it's it'd be really interesting to see what the Brosnan version of these films were. Um, mm-hmm. But it also, would have been really interesting to see what a Timothy Dalton Goldeneye would look like. So it's like, yeah, I, I think I I definitely would have liked to seen one more Dalton film before Brosnan got it, like in between. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's, I'll say this: I feel like Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan, though they, they, you know, they they have their own, of course, differences and so on. I feel like you almost could interswap them in the in their movies, and I think it would still pretty much play out close to the same way. You know what I mean? Like, I, I literally could picture Timothy Dalton in Goldeneye and have the movie play pretty much identical to how it was. It's just you'd have Timothy Dalton there, and same thing of License to Kill. I could see. Uh, Pierce Brosnan put into that role right there, and it would fit really well. It wouldn't feel like it was jarringly different, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, it's, they, were, they were both great Bonds. Um, I, I, yeah. I think Timothy Dalton is closer to Craig out of mm-hmm. all of them. You could see a lot of Daniel Craig taking some of that. He's um, Daniel Craig even took it to another level, though, when he was, you know, the. I think the, the best way to describe the Daniel Craig Bond is when they ask him, Shaking, not shaking or stirred. He goes, "Does it look like I give a damn?" That's the Craig Bond. Like that's him. This Bond still, you know, has a little bit of that charm. A little cares about what people think a little bit. You know, a little bit more of a mm-hmm. hopeless romantic to an extent, but also um, has a little bit more of an edge than Brosnan did uh, later. Mm-hmm. But man, Living Daylights is good, man. It, it is. It's one of those Bond movies that. Even as a kid, this has been always kind of one of my, like, I would say top tiers. I'd probably say, like, top ten. Like, I, I like this Bond movie quite a bit. Ooh. You know, um, it's probably graced in my top fives at probably at certain points and so on. But I'd probably say probably realistically more of, like, a top ten one. But I like it a lot. I think it's got one. It has my favorite Bond vehicle in it. The Aston Martin that he drives in this one I think is so cool. I agree, actually. I love, the, I love the gadgets on it. This is like the one where it's like, you know, he's got like the laser like coming out of the wheels where he rips that one car in half, which almost just feels like, you know, that probably could have just popped the tires and that would have been good to go. But, you know, you got, got that little bit. That, that reminds me of sort of like a Roger Moore moment right there with the car. Like, it doesn't just like pop the tires and like have it like crash and whatnot. More just rips off the top and it's almost like a comedic effect. And stuff. Yeah. So it's like they're, they're still like fading in because really because when you get the license to kill that's the ball because that's one of those bond movies that's like a lot more different because you got sort of rogue bond going out there and it's not like he's doing a job for mi6 or something he's doing it all on his own and i think that's what makes that one seem like a hard edge i mean that's the first bond movie to be pg-13 is a license to kill Hmm. granted i don't think i think pg-13 was that wasn't even around in living daily i think it was it started um after temple of doom 
Yeah, because I know. Well, I guess that's true. This movie almost, I'm surprised, actually isn't a PG-13 by that standard. Yeah, it's um, especially since there's like actual nudity. Like, there's always been kind of nudity in the opening, the montage kind of thing that you know, um, which I always look forward Mm -hmm. to that. Um, We'll talk about that too. Um, Not the nudity, the montage, but both. But (laughs) but (laughs) but um, (laughs) but um. Well, well, in this one, you you get two guys' ass cheeks just like hanging out there taking a shower. Well, you also get the topless girl in it, which was weird because it's it's usually Bond teases with that. You don't is as slutty as Bond is, and Mm -hmm. how all the women he runs through, and like multiple women almost each movie. You don't really see anything too provocative. Well, there's in in pretty much almost all the Roger Moore ones. There's always like a brief, quick snippet. You know, sometimes it's blocked by certain things. Like it'll be blocked by like water, or it'll be somewhat blocked by something else. But it's Austin like Powers, there. Yeah, or of that. yeah, it's it, it's kind it, it is there. Or it's like the one I think it's like the Spy Who Loved Me. It's like there's literally like, they're like in like um one of the guys' cabins, and there's just all this pornographic material on the like the wall of the submarine or whatever in there. Mm. So it's like there's that there's there's just like weird things that you can kind of catch that like start they they pretty much disappear I almost want to say after this movie because I think in like all the um there's none in like the Pierce Brosnan ones or anything like that once it's it's weird cause once like in the 80s it's like you could almost just it could be a PG movie and it's like you know whatever you know what I mean a little bit of nudity guy gets his head chopped off yeah, it's still PG well it's movie, also you know it's also European which does make a little bit of a difference. Um, yeah, me. you know, just in terms of what they'll show, they don't have the hangups that we have about certain things. So it's like, yeah, whatever. She's topless. Who who cares? So it's it's uh, but that really still kind of shocked me a little bit that there was a little bit of that in there. But um, um, yeah, you see that in the montages, but not usually actually in yeah. the movie. Um, but um, <clears throat> let's go over cast real quick, kind of cast and crew. Um, so of course Timmy Dal- Timothy Dalton as James Bond 007. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna have a hard time with some of these names, especially since you don't see these people in a lot of other things. Not all of them. Yeah. Um, one the main villain you do you see he's in one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, Miriam Diabo. We're gonna say. You think that's even close? Yeah, I, I want to say this. I, I want to say that's how you pronounce it. Um, she's the Bond girl in this one. Great Bond girl. I thought. Yeah. Um, yeah, she plays the cello. Plays the living daylights out of that cello. Plays the living daylights out of that cello. Well, she goes to town. <laughs> There's a couple scenes in here where she's like, I mean, her head's bobbing. Like, she's like. She's like just going. Like, I thought it would be really funny if somebody like, well, maybe I even do it. If you just put like um, half her playing the cello, but you have mom <laughs> spaghetti playing in the background. You have, <laughs> you have uh, lose yourself playing because she's bobbing her head to yeah. it. Like, uh, yeah, it's just really funny. Um they give some more depth, and well, I don't want to say too much depth. I don't want to go too far with it, but it was one of the better characters for a Bond girl, mm-hmm. and she's a little bit more badass than some of the Bond girls too. Yeah, because well, she's one of those ones that starts off as like, "Hey, here's those chill uppers." It seems like she's going to be kind of like you know running around in distress the whole time, and the next thing you know, she's like grabbing a gun and running in full steam towards the Soviets. You know, who cares? Yeah. Go, go save Bond. He's like, I don't feel like it. He's like, Ah, oh, bitch, I'm going to go do it. Yeah, I really liked her. Yeah, I think she's kind of fun. Yeah, she didn't have um, she doesn't have a huge uh, filmography in terms of well known things, but she's had had a pretty serious career, pretty steady career after this. Um, Jerowen Crab, Crabbe, Jerowen, Jerowen, uh, plays General Georgi oh, yeah. Koskov. 
Um, yes, yes. The first few minutes of this movie, when I first saw him, I'm like, why do I know this guy? I like, I, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, do I know him from somewhere? And I was like, I definitely know you from a movie. For some reason, I could not place it. And then I realized, oh, you're the fu- you're in the fugitive. Oh, I didn't think about that, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's the he's the bad guy in the fugitive. And it took me a minute. I was like, where do I know this son of a bitch? I've seen him in other stuff too, but that's the main place I could, I could picture him having a conversation with Harrison Ford in the film. And um, that's mm-hmm. where it finally hit me. Um, but uh, Joe Don Baker plays the villain, Brad Whitaker. So this threw me off. So I, so yeah. obviously he I, plays um he plays lighter in the um Bond movie. He plays a different character, but he's like a CIA informant. He's pretty much he's yeah in Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies, and I almost want to say he's even in um the third one too. Um, World's Not Enough. I could be wrong, but um. No, I don't, actually, maybe he not, might not be, but um, yeah, he literally uh, you know, he plays in a sense the Felix character. He's like a different CIA yeah. guy. He plays his own version, but um, but yeah, I know it throws you off. You're like, wait a second, he's the bad guy. Because even when I was watching this again, who's I was like, is he still is is because for uh, the whole time of the movie, I'm like, maybe maybe he is that same yes. character from Goldeneye, and he and he switches, and it's like, oh no, no, he doesn't. That, that's right, I forgot. They have that scene at the end too, where like he literally has like it almost just reminds me like he's got the biggest like D and D like collection of like old timey like you know Civil War battles and like Napoleon War era stuff, and he's literally got like an Adolf Hitler statue bro, of himself no, listen, in there. Bro, those statues are creepy as hell. I did not like any of those. Well, the weirdest part is because they're all like Joe Don Baker statues, but him. <laughs> somebody, you know, somebody still has that somewhere. <laughs> it, it, it's like just, it's just imagine if if you just got a, well, they're not let's be like or, uh, a mannequin of yourself, and you made about like fifteen of them, and then you dressed one up like here's my Genghis Khan one, here's my Napoleon the- one, here's my Robert E. Lee one, here's my Adolf Hitler one, you know. Somebody <laughs> has a Joe Don Hitler. In the, like at their house or something somewhere. That's, that's what I mean. Somebody probably bought that out the set. Like I got the Joe Don Baker Hitler. Yeah, some here. big Bond aficionado. Here's my Joe Don Con. Here's my Joe Don <laughs> Hitler. Here's my Joe Don Ely. Yeah, it's just it's so it's um weird. But I did not like the look of those at all. Oh. Yeah, that was weird. Well, as well as once, like you almost don't notice it when you're first. You, you have to kind of just sort of stare at that for a and go, wait a second. Yeah, <laughs> these these uh, mannequins all look oddly the same. Yeah, it's just, yeah. I didn't like any of that. Um, one of my favorite people. I just like this guy, John Reese Davies. I just oh, you yeah, see yeah. him on screen, obviously you know from the Indiana Jones movies, but you know also in this. Um. Mm. Art Malik. I've seen where have I seen this guy in something else before? Oh, True Lies. No, I, yeah, I was gonna say this is the guy in True Lies, he plays the villain yeah. in this. It's funny, it's like in this one, it's like, hey, you're the hero terrorist guy in this one. And then it's like True Lies says by no way, it's like, you're gonna be the bad guy, you're gonna get shot through. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger's gonna fire you uh, with a missile from a Harrier jet and you're gonna blow up inside a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> but in this movie though, you, you you're leading the you know, the freedom fight in Afghanistan. Yeah. People. Yeah. I like that guy. Uh, Desmond Lewin is Q, obviously. And, um, you know, after that, it's pretty much, you know, your uh, standard cast of uh, of uh, Bond regulars and different things like that. If you, no, nobody super particular jumps out. I know in the next one, there's like... Um, well, yeah, the next one you get... Um, not only do you get uh, um, the dude from Scarface, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but... Um, Benicio Del Toro. 
Yeah, you get Benicio de Toro in there, and you get um, Wayne Newton is like rapey Wayne Newton. Is there another Wayne Newton? I just feel like Wayne Newton's <laughs> I, I rapey. I, I just <laughs> <laughs> he's just more rapey and oh, more to kill. rapey. Oh, that's scary. You know, one I will say that somebody I do like a lot in this has. Um, they, in this movie, they got a new Money Penny, Carolyn Bliss, mm-hmm. and I actually this is my favorite Money Penny in all like the 007s. I like this one a lot. Just I feel I like I, like, I mean like granted, don't get me wrong, like you know Money Penny, like you know in like the last you know twenty movies or something like that, like she's great too. And of course she was like the classic actress, and like this is the first time they kind of changed it over. But like the way she sort of balances out, she's got kind of like the perfect like eighties fit to kind of go along with here. You know, and so on. I always liked her, you know, because they switch her up once it gets to Pierce Brosnan. It's kind of weird. They carry some things over and then they switch some things, just like how um, I want to say, well, they have the second M going on in this one here. But then, you know, of course, it switches, you know, up in Pierce Brosnan's one. And then, um, you know, they switch Money Penny, but then they carry some other things around. It's kind of weird how that's kind of changed. Yeah, I did like this Money Penny because it felt like it, it this is going to sound so like derogatory. I don't mean it like this at all, but they knew her place. I'm not saying that's a woman's place. I'm just saying that character, they knew what that character was in terms of how it relates to bond. And I've actually like yeah. to seen a little bit more of her in this film because you know, the whole thing is that the whole joke is bond loves like, kind of likes money, penny money, penny kind of likes bond, but nothing ever happens. And, um, well, see, it's, it's that thing that bond knows is like, Hey, you don't mess around at the office. Yeah. Don't, don't dip your pen in company ink. <laughs> Yeah, is the. Uh... <laughs> I I feel like that's the thing is like you know Bond. I think he just he gets that to like a T, and it's like that kind of thing. That's the sort of the thing. It's like you know what? Nope, not good. Because you know what? If, if anything goes wrong, I got to keep coming into work, and you know we, we don't want it to be awkward. Yeah, yeah. It's it's <laughs> always there, and it's really good. And there was a lot of that in in this, and they only had like two interactions, I think. Yeah, because she's, she's not in it a whole lot. Even in License to Kill, she only just has a couple moments as well, too. You know, it, I mean, it's the same thing even with, um, you know, um, Money Penny in the old movies and so on like that, too, with Lois Maxwell and whatnot. Like, you know, she only always has just those couple of scenes. But those are mostly, like, some always some of the best scenes in a movie and so on. And I know in the Daniel Craig ones, you know, they've turned Money Penny into, like, a gun-toting, like, sidekick. You know, which is cool, too. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that there. But I almost kind of like just the whole point is just, hey, here's this... The lady who pretty much keeps everything in charge here at MI6 and so on, and you know, is also the one who loves Bond, but also can put Bond in his place too. Yeah, and but see, the, you didn't need her and the other ones as much because you have Judy, Dame Judy Dench's M. Yeah, because by far, I mean, she's awesome. She is so so good. Oh at yeah. Her. And no, she's super good. And, and I do like Samantha Bond as Money Penny and the Pierce Brosnan ones too. Yeah, but you know, but I, I like this Money Penny. This is the one I like a lot. Is the one of the Dalton ones here, and so on. And I, I always felt that like if Bond ever retired and he stopped doing it, I do feel that he would actually. I mean, Bond probably wouldn't marry again because you know things just don't happen good if Bond gets married. You, you literally are driving off from like, <laughs> like you're not even on your honeymoon. Like you're like leaving just from like you know just getting married, and of course somebody comes up and shoots your wife. Yeah. It's just not going to work. <laughs> you know, and credits roll afterwards. Bond cries, credits roll, <laughs> no music plays. It's like, <laughs> oh, man. you know, but I felt like if you, if you wanted to have like almost like the, the storybook Bond inning, I actually think he would settle down with Money Penny. Actually, once all things were said and done and he was retired and he just like moved away to Jamaica, you know, 
Because that's where Bond would go. That's where all the Bond books are written. Yeah. Did you go to Jamaica? I wonder what's going to happen in this new one. I wonder if they're going to finally kill him off a little bit. I don't know. Then just kind of alternate timeline kind of thing. But um, we'll see. Um, so, yeah. So, the Living Daylights, harder, edgier Bond kind of telling up the Roger Moore area. Now you're got you're kind of going into the late 80s, early 90s. And it's so weird that this one would was the one decided to be more grounded because we've talked over and over again ad nauseum about how, you know, the 90s and late 80s, the action was just over the top, ridiculous, because we were in this mm-hmm. kind of whimsical pre-9-11 era where all this stuff was just fake action movies and we couldn't take it seriously anyway and nothing bad was ever going to happen. So, but... um. I think people were ready for a change of pace. You know, Roger yeah. Warren was just, they were getting a little, I think looking back, there's a charm to them, but I think people at the time felt like they were getting a little too campy. Yeah. Cause that's the thing is I know, I think especially if the interesting one always is when you see like the age range of fans. So it's like, you know, the people that kind of grew up watching like the Sean Connery ones, as like they go in the Roger Moore ones, like those fans are kind of going like, "Dude, what are you doing?" Like, you, you, it's almost like you're you're like changing up like what Bond's all about, and you're almost kind of making jokes and someone like this. Like, I like it kind of bothers it there. But when you, I think you're a kid growing up watching the Roger Moore ones, that almost gives you like a completely different outlook on them and so on. And I mean, I, even as myself, I obviously didn't watch them as a kid in the '70s, but you know, when I was a kid watching them on TV and so on like that, just Roger Moore ones, you watch Moonraker and The Spy Who Loved Me, and you know, and View to a Kill and all those kind of ones, and those ones are like, man, these things are. Amazing amazing like i love these films like that i like the big like you know even like the space battle moonraker like i didn't see that as cheap recording i'm like dude this is badass mm-hmm. you know what i mean bond goes to space he's got a laser gun and everything like that like this is awesome but i think if you're somebody who's now like in your 40s and you've been watching bond your whole life and you're like he's going to space now are you kidding me it's you know not to compare it too much to batman again but it's also <laughs> like um tim burton with the 89 batman you have that difficulty where you have people, a lot of the people who are going to see this film, the ones who are the older, slightly older demographic, late 30s to 40s and 50s, they know Adam West as Batman. And then the campy, ridiculous cheese that is that Batman. And then you have like, you know, your Justice League cartoons and different things like that. And then all of a sudden in the mid to late 80s, whenever the, um, the comic... 89? Uh, well, oh, Dark Knight uh, Returns? Yeah, yeah. Oh, who am I thinking of? Frank, you're thinking of Frank yes, Miller Yes, thank book? you. Goodness. I want to say Frank Miller, and I was like, that doesn't sound right. Um, when you, you get all that stuff coming out, then you get this darker, harder, edgier, noir kind of Batman kind of throw, call back to some of the old earlier comic stuff, but even edgier. And so now you got to make mm. both groups happy. you got to try to yeah. blend the two ideas. And I feel like this that was what was happening here. It's got a little bit of the camp. It's got a little bit of the subtle mm-hmm. humor. Um, but then it's also a more modern action take. And um, I like some of that. But it's, it is a hard blend. And I think it probably did piss people off. He had a, an enviable job with this Bond. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and it still, it still carries the John Glenn, who's been working on the 007 movie since, like, The Spy Who Loved mm-hmm. Me. Because he did, in, like, The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, he did, I want to say... Um, he did. The, I know he did the opening part in uh, Moonraker when they jump out of the plane and so on. And he did um, also. I want to say, in Spy Who Loved Me, he did the opening scene in that too. But I could be kind of wrong. The, the skiing mm-hmm. scene, 
But um, and then they said like, hey, you want to start directing movies? So from you know, he directed all the '80s ones pretty much. I think he literally up the License to Kill. John Glenn did them all, so it's kind of interesting that he could do all those campy ones, and then he could come into like the Living Daylights. But um, I almost think that guy's one of the best Bond directors. I mean, that's just oh yeah, the, you know the the full spectrum of the '80s Bonds. I mean, I, I love every single one of those, but like you know, he nails all kinds of great action, you know, fantastic scenes and so on. I mean, there might be some weird goofy moments here and there, but those are always like those things that even in some of those Bond moments where there's like a weird goofy moment you know where like you know like where there's like the the bird that does like the double take when bond's driving i think it's in um not in this one but it's in uh octopus or mm-hmm. something like that it's like these like those weird things in there it's like they have it for like a split second and it's like yeah just let it bypass whatever yeah you know just some weird funny things but um but no i think the thing is kind of grounding it back making it a little bit darker a little bit more edgier i mean it's almost even like the ni- 1989 batman it almost has like a similar kind of tone there because that's how that movie is it's darker an edgier, but still carries a bit of camp. Yeah, you had to you had to please both both ends of it. You got to appease the appease the uh, Roger Moore fans. You got to appease the you know the the, the Sean, Sean Connery fans who are like, hey, you're going to a new Bond, so we're finally moving on for more. Bring back some of that shit. And then there's other people who are like, well, no, we we like that shit. So they yeah. you have to please both people. I think I think that they. Overall, did that. I think if you're a fan of the Connery ones more, then you probably like this a little bit more than somebody who likes the the Roger Moore movies um, more. Yeah, I definitely would agree there. And it's also the other one too is the um, the fans of the book. I think this is the one that was kind of like it, it got the book a little bit more like exactly kind of how it is. Not saying that you know the first Sean Connery ones don't have that too, but you know kind of when you start grounding it down a little bit and just take away like almost the kind of the over the topness not saying there's anything wrong with that but um i feel like when they get that kind of level that's sort of where it gets like okay now it's starting to feel like you know the books because the weird thing about these books when you think about it, they're all written from like 19 like 51 or something to like 59 like it's there it's actually not that long of like a time period that all the books are written yeah in. You know? yeah it's um you know this this one definitely tries to call back to the books a little bit more I think it's fr- it's just so frustrating because I feel like it was also a lot of things happening. A lot. Of, it was the end of an era too, so I feel like mm-hmm. this movie kind of was made when it, it was a huge transition period for Bond in general, with all the yeah. with the broccolis and all that stuff. So I don't know. It's it's uh, it was a it was a tough sale. It almost makes you wish they would have waited longer and maybe. Dalton could have got three or four movies, and then Brosnan, and then Craig. But hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, exactly. It's it's one of those ones. I feel like I just look at like there's just that one little like time period. Like there could be like a nineteen ninety three double oh seven or ninety two Bond, and I feel like that's right where uh, Timothy Dalton could have got. I mean, the closest thing you get. This sounds so weird. There's a Sega Genesis game um, called James Bond double oh seven. I'll say it might have something else in the title, but it's like an original story that has Timothy Dalton's likeness and use of it. I mean, it's not like there's a huge story. It's probably like a three paragraph story in like side the booklet, but, um, <laughs> but like that, that's the closest thing you get to like the third Timothy Dalton mm-hmm. one. Yeah. There's actually a little, I meant to watch it. There's a little documentary. Uh, I think, um, Joe Blow does it, or maybe it's some Mr. Sunday movies about the unreleased third, uh, Dalton film. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I'd like to know a little bit more about that, but, um, yeah, Living Daylights essentially, you know, it's an arms deal kind of thing. And um, I will say this, some things I liked about this movie, we're not going to go through the entire plot. I thought the opening was pretty mm-hmm. damn good. 
I like that they went to the yeah. Rock of Gibraltar. I thought that was a really cool, interesting place to take it. You always start with an action scene, at kind of an exotic place or an interesting place. That was really cool. Um, yeah. And you got the other double O agents out there and so on that get kind of picked off because it's like, it's that thing you like, you rarely actually see a whole lot of other double O. You know, of course, you got 006 and, uh, you know, Trevelyan and Goldeneye. You got 008, who's like the clown that dies and, um, Octopussy and so on, but like you know, throughout time, it's like you don't see too many other double O's, so it's like you see a couple of them here. It's like it's like double O two and double O four and somebody yeah. else, but you know, I think that's kind of neat. Yeah, you had this opening where they're going to the Rock of Gibraltar. There's supposed to be this training exercise, and then people are all of a sudden picked off, and you're uh, there's some when they're supposed to be shot with paint guns, they're all of a sudden shot with real guns, and Bond survives because he's James Bond, and then it kind of sets the story off, and then. I will say the opening sequence to this, uh, if I could say one thing negative about this, off the top of my head mm-hmm. is maybe maybe the worst opening montage. I like the AHA song that goes with it. Well, it's got one of the best 007 songs yes, in my yeah. opinion. Like, I'd say like top five, if not even top three best songs. Real quick, just side note, what is your favorite Bond song? God. It, I probably would say it's between A View to a Kill... Um, the Chris Cornell one on Casino no, Royale, good. and um, nobody does it better on a spy. Who Ooh. I don't know. I know it's like three completely different. But I mean, like, there's so many good ones, but the, the, right there, nobody ones. does it better is up there. But I really like the Jack White Alicia Keys one from Quantum Solace. Oh, on, um, that is Quantum Solace, yeah, right? That, yeah. I think so, because I remember that that was another one, too. I remember when that movie came out, I'm like, this is weird. This doesn't feel like 007 at all. But then as time goes on, you're like, oh, that's actually kind of a cool song. Just Another Way to Die is what this song is called, which you wish kind of the movie was called that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, those, just side note real quick. Those are my favorite ones. I thought this, that I thought the song was good in this. What's the song? The song is called The Living Daylights, right? Yeah. Yeah. The living daylights. It's good, but man, that I did not like the montage. But it is so ridiculously eighties. I mean, it might as well have been that Robert yeah. Palmer video with the girls in the background dancing. It was like it was super eighties. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Well, well, that's the one thing. But Bond always kind of does like form into like whatever decade he sort of is as well. Too. Oh yeah, and they, they did this. Roger Moore does not feel like. Even when you hear Roger Moore, those movies being released in the 80s, it does not feel like the 80s at all. Well, because Roger Moore has the feeling, like, I will say, it feels like things around him might be the 80s, but he's, you know, in a sense, this old 60s guy walking oh, yeah. around. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's it's definitely that, you know what I mean? It's, it almost has that feeling of somebody's dad, like, coming in to save the day. Exactly, yeah. It's This is this is not Timothy. Timothy Dalton might have kids, but those they're bastards. We don't know. Yeah. You know. He's he's not hanging around. Um, but yeah, interesting opening montage, and then you know you kind of get into the story. And I thought overall the story was really good. I liked. Um, it, there was certain things that were set up that were super obvious. Um, mm-hmm. but man, I I um I really thought this thing flowed well. I thought it was super interesting, especially since we've been watching some terrible shit lately. Let's just be real. We were watching some bad stuff, so it was nice to really watch something good. But one thing I'm going to highlight is uh, fight scenes in the 80s are usually pretty bad. Like, hand-to-hand fight scenes. I don't usually yeah, think they're they, good, but that one in the kitchen. 
That's a, I like the one that that was a lost. great fight scene. I thought for a, especially for an eighties movie. Yeah, no, and they're just kind of like using all the elements around them and so on like that, and breaking things over each other. No, that that's a badass scene there too. And I just like I like that kind of just storyline. It's, like, it's it's that simple spy one where like, hey, agents are kind of getting picked off left and right. We got to kind of discover who it is. I mean, like that's one of those ones like it's a simple action plot. You know, I mean, it's like equivalent to like a revenge film and like a kung fu movie. But like sometimes that's like all you need to kind of get your hold, like get the ball rolling and be like, now just fill it with cool action scenes, cool locations, you know, cool characters, and you're set and ready to go. Well, there's some similarities between this pl- the plot in this movie and Skyfall. Because in Skyfall, yeah. they get that hard drive that they're after that has all the <clears throat> secret, the undercover agents and who their real alias- their aliases are. And they can pick them off and he puts it on YouTube. Um, in this one, mm-hmm. they don't talk as much about the secret list, but that is a, a thing. It's, the villain has it. And he's going to start killing yeah. these people, and so oh, this is Skyfall kind of brought that in a little bit. So I thought that was kind of interesting to see that again. I'm like, oh yeah, this is very very familiar. And then when when you have the main villain, he he couldn't have the most like '80s weapon you can think of. He's got his Walkman. He's killing people. Oh my with. god, I know, I know, but. <laughs> <sighs> Because I, I think all the because it's like I want to say it's Phillips that like does like all the electronics in this because yes. they really always make sure that like they get the the product placement like 007's radio and the and the Aston Martin Scott Phillips the little whistle explosive device is made by Phillips. Yeah, I feel like there might have been one more thing. It, I want to say that the the headset the Walkman thing actually. Oh is a Phillips yes, one you're too. right. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I thought that was really really interesting too. This like they made sure they. <laughs> Got that Phillips logo in there. You don't see a whole lot of product placement in Bond. No, because a lot of the, the stuff back in the day that they used to be like, they're like, you know, sometimes that stuff just appears. Because there's like, I always think there's the one where it, I always want to say it's it's Mountain Dew, but it's not Mountain Dew. It's in The Spy Who Loved Me, I want to say, or it's in Moonraker, one or the other. Um, but there's just the most ginormous billboard of like, um, it might be Seven Up. That mm. might be what it is. But so it's one of the. It's either a Mountain Dew, Mellow Yellow, or Seven Up, and it's just like in the background is Bonds running through like uh, Brazil. But if they're like, actually, that was just there. That wasn't really, really like one of those ones mm. that we placed there. But then again, when, when you say that and you shoot a scene with a giant one back there, you know, someone in the theater is like, man, I could really go for a Seven Up. Right oh, exactly. Now. Yeah, they they um. I, I shouldn't say there's not a lot of product placement in Bond. There's not a lot of um plebeian <laughs> product placement bond it's all like john ford suits and you know shit like that it's yeah. like you know nice watches and expensive cars that we can never find. so there there is a lot of it in there but it's not like normal everyday mom and pop shit it's it's stuff that you aspire to 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 use exclusive i feel the pierce bras in there is where they really introduced a lot more like Hey, here's the Bond razor to go along with the movie. You can get the Bond watch to go along with the movie. They start having BMWs because it's almost like, in a sense, like people think of BMWs being an expensive car, but realistically, it's like the same price as like going out to buying like a Dodge or a Chevy pickup, kind of in yeah. a sense. You know, it's not it's not like you're buying a Corvette. It's not like you're buying an Aston Martin. No. You know what I mean? Or a Lotus. You know. So I felt like that's why they almost switched to BMW because they're like, you know what? BMW, it's, it's not going to be a cheap car, but you know, a normal person can get a BMW if they really want to be yeah. Bond. Well, it's like <laughs> where the normal person's not getting an Aston Martin. It's the Casino Royale. They did both. They did. They did. Yeah, Ford. The Ford at the beginning. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, oh my god, <laughs> we, we, 
James Bond and an escort. Well, I remember because everybody everybody freaked out that like that there was a Ford. I'm like, dude, like a doctor? No, he's driving like an old Chevy. Or well, it's not old; it's brand new Chevy at yeah. that time. <laughs> but you yeah. know what I mean. <laughs> oh man, yeah. The, some of that stuff is really cool, and I think that's another thing that hurt the Dalton films, though. Going back with with the Brosnan films, you had so much multimedia abilities. Obviously, the Brosnan films are elevated by the GoldenEye video game and all the video games. Yep. Yeah, because the Tomorrow Never Dies game, the World's Not Enough game, they didn't have technically um, uh, um, a Die Another Day one, but um, Everything or Nothing was sort of tied in with that in yeah. a sense. Yeah, it's or or I guess Night Nightfire was technically the one that was tied in with it. Well, they they go they they border around the movie. Like one came I think right before the movie, and one came mm. after the movie. But yeah, I mean the the Brosnan films were elevated because of that, and like you said, all the tie-ins, um, Bond yeah. razors and shit like that. You know, Dal- Dalton just. It kind of felt like a time, honestly, looking back at this and just watching the old documentaries, it kind of felt like a time um, when the future of Bond wasn't so certain. Like, you know, how much longer is this going to go? And now what does it feel like it's ever going to end? I feel like if anything happens to Bond, any big transitions happen to Bond, that it'll be turned into a TV show or something. Um, I've kind of wondered about that lately, maybe for the next round, but... At, at, during these movies, it kind of feels like, eh, I don't know if this is going to carry into the nineties. Well, and you got to think about because it it's like realistically, there there wasn't like at this time period, very few things ever had this longevity of a series going on. Like one of the only things I can always think of is is Tarzan. Tarzan is the one that you know for from like nineteen oh five to like nineteen sixty, there was like a copious amount of Tarzan films. Like that's the closest thing you have to sort of a Godzilla. Like, they made a Tarzan movie like. Every two years. Yeah, and then Godzilla, you know, for mm-hmm. Japan and so on, you know. But there's not tons of stuff that it goes on and on and on and on and on, you know. I mean, you can find this. I mean, there's classic type series stuff where it's like, oh, like a Sherlock Holmes movie. Or they've how many, you know, Robin Hood movies and so on. But I'm thinking more of something where like, hey, there's Non-public a domain. <laughs> story. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because, you know, Tarzan, they, you know, when those movies first came out in like 1910s and so on like that, like that was, that was a brand new concept in a sense, you know what I mean? It wasn't like that was like an old thing and they just, you know, stretched that thing out forever. So, like, I think the idea of having Bond, you know, even, you know, that was the time period where like, you know, you mostly did like a trilogy and that was already kind of a big deal. It's like, oh, there's three Star Wars movies. People don't normally do that, you know? So I think going into Living Daylights, it was that one where it's like, hey, let, we're, we're going to kind of try it. We're going to see where it goes. Where I think when they got the GoldenEye, I think that's when they started to realize, you know what? We're going to start hitting the kid generation really hard, you know, because that's the thing is I felt like that that was a smart thing about 007 going in from like GoldenEye into like the early 2000s is I think that they really captured a brand new 007 fan basis that could have disappeared. They, 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 you know, Bond could have turned into like just, an, you know, an old fogey kind of series where they're like, when I think when they hit them really hard at the video games, that locked in Bond where people really knew who it was. Even if they never watched the movies, because of the video games, a lot of people knew who Double was. You're 100% right. Look how much money Skyfall made. I mean, it's yeah. stupid. And you wouldn't... It, great, a lot of that has to do with how great Craig is as a Bond, how good those movies are. But a lot of it also has to do yeah. with the brand capital. Because if you don't... Yep. if I don't think if it was for the video games and the extracurricular stuff, if Bond would have continued. Because quite honestly, the... The three of the four, out of the four Brosnan films, one is great, and the other are fun and okay, in my opinion. 
but I mean, yeah. I think that's. I mean, th- this sounds weird. The one you know, you know, it's the one I almost like the most out of all of them. <laughs> you you probably could guess this. Is it the one where he <laughs> sits, uh, surfs the CGI wave? Yep, that's one of my top five favorite 007 movies is Die Another oh Day. Gosh. I love that movie so much. That movie is one of those ones, like, I think people, they, they see that part where he surfs the waves, and they go, oh, my God, this is terrible. And it's like, that part's like all of maybe yeah, it's like not long. 10 it's seconds not long. long. It's it's so short, but the rest of that film is so good. But this is going back to the video games and so on like that. This is kind of the bummer of the last, like, eight years is they haven't had 007 mm. games. It's like, dude, what are you guys doing? Like, because in the Daniel Craig ones at first are actually really good. Like that Quantum of Solace game is amazing. And it takes place between or it has both Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace put together in the game. That game plays Bro. so good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And then it's like they, they made a couple others after that. They did like, the, you know, some other ones like they did the GoldenEye remake with uh, Daniel Craig. And then they did. Um, that was cool. Uh, the 007 Legends one, which is pretty much in the same way that the GoldenEye remake was. But after that, that's like 2012. There hasn't been a Bond game. And I felt like there's like, dude, you know, you had, you know, well, I guess Skyfall kind of tied in around that 007 Legends. But then after that, it's like, yeah, they didn't have one. I feel like that's actually what's making people kind of forget about 007 is you're not capitalizing on that video game aspect. And it's like, you know, Bond can still, even if, even if it's not like, it might not be like top tier first person shooter kind of like thing like GoldenEye was. You might not ever have that, but you still got to have that in there where like, hey, you can still capture, you know, even if it's like, you know, top 10, like, you know, whatever, that's fine. Yeah, it's, you know, just in general, and one, <laughs> one of the things we'll touch on real quick, the, the tie, the art of the tie in is dead. Like, if I could revive, mm-hmm. if, I, if I could be in charge of something, if I could go to like a, studio and be like listen you guys want to make more money okay you're trying to figure this out we got to bring tie-ins back and we gotta yeah that has got to come back we're gonna have we're gonna have an album tie-in and they still do this stuff it's just not as effective anymore it's not as culturally relevant anymore and that needs to change well i'm gonna use this example i know we're getting kind of off 007 but it still kind of revolves but it's like space jam 2 i am very disappointed that their tie-ins what they had like they just had the most funkiest like tie-ins like that should have had a sweet 7-eleven slurpy tie-in that's there's so many things that could have been done with it and it's like it's just like they have some kind of half-ass products half-ass looking kind of action figures and it's just like they were on clearance it's almost like yeah, and it's like even you know they had a cereal that was just kind of like a knockoff like Cocoa Puffs like but they're basketballs or whatever like, but it wasn't it wasn't as good as like it should have been. I'm not like they they had stuff. I'm like man, I I was really looking forward to. It. I was gonna walk into Seven Eleven. I was gonna get a, like a Slurpee or something. I was gonna have a cool cup, you know. And there's gonna be all this other stuff. And it's like dude, there was no tie-in. Like I was just like I was waiting for the tie-in part and just I I could never find anything. Well, they had the here's where they're falling apart. Back in the day when so they're doing a tie-in where did you learn about the tie-in mm-hmm. you either randomly bumped into it at a store or you saw it on commercials on the cartoons you were watching yeah you saw, you were watching something yep. and they're like oh go to mcdonald's to get the space jam happy meal toy and this plush figure and you know you have all this stuff you don't have that the kids don't my, my kid doesn't know what the hell a commercial is he's not gonna, well yeah. yeah so you have to use social media to do it now well, it's because it's one of those ones, like, that's something I notice is, like, that's why I don't hear about a lot of things anymore, because I literally never see yeah. commercials. Because uh, every, everything I own, I if, if you can pay to not have commercials, it's mm-hmm. gone. 
You know what I mean? So it's like YouTube, never, I never see a commercial on that. Like any of the other things, I never see commercials in and so on. Like I could, you know, if I could even knock the commercials off of Twitter, I would give them $5 a month just to get rid of that stuff. Oh, yeah. And I mean, and, and their, their ads aren't nearly the same as like, like a TV ad. Like they're like, you almost don't even see their ads. It's kind of like you see that little thing that says, this is an ad. And you're like, whoop. Skip mm-hmm. right past it. Like, I, I didn't even read what it said. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't, I mean, obviously they work. Obviously people wouldn't pay for them if they didn't work. But, like, they're not, it's not like when you're a kid and you have to watch that, you know, two and a half minute break, you know, between, you know, your episodes. And you're going to see all these commercials and you're going to see them multiple times and they're going to sink in. Like, I feel like that power of the ad is just not No, that, and that's really hurting the tie-in thing. And the tie-ins were, were you can say what you, was it blatant just shameless capitalism absolutely was it cool as hell absolutely it Hell was yeah. awesome. i loved it I, I don't care i mean space jam itself was just a cash grab in general but if you're gonna give me something cool and timeless and something i'm gonna enjoy then you can here take my money so i i just you know uh, i, I want to say this because you said a tie-in and i got a tie-in actually the other day and it just reminded me of you and i was actually gonna take a picture and send it to you but I, when I went to the movie theater to go see Shang Chi and see the here I'll tie in, and see the 007 second trailer, they had a I, when I went to go get the free popcorn, they had a tie-in, and it was obviously a tie-in that probably was sitting around the warehouse, and they brought it out about a year and a half late. But it was a X Men Dark Phoenix plastic bucket for like the popcorn that literally looks like you could almost turn into like a trick or treat thing. And I was like, dude, this is, I mean, that's like probably like one of the weakest of the X movies, but like this, this, this bucket's sick. This is what I want. I want more stuff like we, this. Um, I remember seeing that they didn't have it at Alamo, but I remember seeing that bucket. I'm pretty sure because I also, um, cause for rise of Skywalker, which when I was excited to go see it, when I thought it was going to be good, I, I got a giant ass bucket like that. My kid puts toys in it. Um, yeah, it's like one of those one, small things like that. Like, like I, I, I still, it's like that, that's like the few tie-ins you can find. It's like, dude, I love when I when I find that yeah. stuff. I mean, some of it has to do with just the market changing where people go. People are trying to avoid fast food a little bit more, so you got to find different places. Mm-hmm. But social media is where you got to go for the tie-ins now, and it's just not. I don't yeah. know. Do kids even play with toys anymore? I don't think so as much, you know. I mean, I'm going to say this real quick for the Space Jam. The one good tie-in they did have, they had a free game on Xbox, at least. I don't know if it was on other stuff, but it was a beat-em-up, old-school style I, I think Space Jam kind of game. I think I saw that. Oh, yeah, and, it was, and they gave it away for free, so I thought that was kind of a smart one. Hey, like, anybody will download it that way. So that that's kind of a good digital tie-in, yeah. you know. It's kind of funny because they made – this is the other thing I thought. They make it like uh, – like an old like 1991 beat 'em up game. I'm like, well, Space Jam came out in 1995. I think uh, you should you should almost make it more like a. It's got to be a, almost a little bit more modern than that. I mean, I know that's like the most nitpicky thing you guys say, but it's like, wait a second, Space Jam like it, it should be a little. I, I know what you're doing, but yeah. like it almost needs to be like a 3D beat 'em up game or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it needs to be like a Nintendo 64 style thing, <laughs> a side scroller, you know, mess. <clears throat> Speaking of that, the, the original Space Jam website's still up. It is. I still look yeah, at it every once so in a while. Awesome. Um, yeah. Anyway, more product placement for Bond in the future after this yep. next one. Yeah. You know, because that's what I feel. I just there's just not enough Bond merchandise in like the last no, while. We need a badass Bond game, and needs to be mm-hmm. fun. At least a little bit lighthearted, so you can open, make it open world, and also have people like be able to play, go in there, do the um, competition thing. And, you know, basically like GoldenEye, but just updated. And, you know, bring in Jaws, bring in some of these ridiculously goofy characters. 
and have fun with it. Um, which is where I think the next Bond series is going to go. I think it's going to go a little bit lighter tone. Yeah, I, I think they're going to, if, you know, it's one of those ones they're going to kind of probably back it up a little bit and go, you know, almost more probably Pierce Brosnan. I feel yeah. like so if, if I had to guess, they're going to shoot for about the Golden Eye because Golden Eye still has like that Timothy Dalton. It's kind of got the harder edge tone and so on, but it still has that 90s kind of charm and it kind of works in that way, you know, where like as the Pierce Brosnan movies do kind of go, they almost become a little bit more kind of like uh, Roger Moore each time, which that once again doesn't bother me because that's my favorite Bond, but um. But yeah, but going back to like the Living Daylights though, I, I do have a sweet tie-in for that though. I do have the, I told you about it on one episode, but I have the Commodore 64 game of the Living Daylights and it comes on a cassette tape. Man. It's, it's pretty sweet. I, I had to buy it from Europe too because I don't think they even had them in the US. Wow. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> I didn't know you even had, yeah. yeah. I meant to look up if there was any good tie-ins for this one or any good ads or anything. So that's pretty cool that you have that. Yeah, I got that. Well, because I started at the point because I bought all the American games and so on like that. That I was like, well, I guess I got to start looking up all. There's like the old PC games and so on. You know, there's Atari 2600 one that I, I really want. Oh, really? To get it in the box costs a couple hundred yeah. bucks. So and it's like if it's no box. I don't want it. I want the whole box. I want the whole thing. But um, but yeah, no, Living Daylights overall. I, this is one of those ones. I think it's a really fun one. It's got tons of great scenes. I mean, even just like cool, fun stuff like when they're. You know, after, like, they're in the Aston Martin and they're kind of escaping and the police are coming after him and so on just because, like, they're kind of thrown under the the bus in a sense, being like, hey, there's a, there's a guy in a gallon and a cello out there. If you, any of you guys see him, go bring him in and whatnot. And they have this cool escape scene and whatnot. And then it turns into the part where, like, you know, of course, they after they use all the sweet gadgets in the Aston Martin, they crash it, blow it up, and then they, like, are literally escaping down the hill in the cello case, just, like, as a giant slide all the way down. Guys are chasing him with the submachine guns, you know, falling with half-tracks and whatnot. Like, totally badass. Yeah, I, um... I hated that and loved it simultaneously. It, it took you. It, it, it's goofy. It's definitely God, those guys goofy. are bad shots. Man, the... They're like worse than stormtroopers. They're so terrible. And the weird thing is, is like Bond doesn't even have like a gun at this point. He's, well, he, he, he does, but he's not shooting anything. He's just holding onto the cello. You know what I mean? Like if he was picking off a guy here and there, I, I guess that'd be it. But yeah, yeah. a Bond. You know, because how fast can you go down the hill in like a yeah. cello case? I mean, you could probably go pretty fast, but it's not like. It's not a pair no, of skis. A, a classic Bond way to have done this would have been the girl sitting on his lap, facing the other direction, wrapped around. She's steering. She's looking out. And then he's got the gun shooting yeah. behind her. That, they should they should yeah. change that up a little bit because that's a very Bond way to do it. It's, yeah, instead of going down like a parent and their kid like on a sled. Yeah, it looked pretty bad. Um, but um, it, it's one of those ones that's kind of goofy but kind of fun at the same time. Um just, just all those kind of things. The locations are great, you know. They're in Austria. They're in Czechoslovakia. They're in um, Afghanistan and so on. And the like Afghanistan that. shots look amazing. Yeah. Just like one of those ones. It's that kind of thing where you could have desert and, like, almost like little palm trees and very few things out there. But, like, oh, they just come across really cool. Just looks badass. And just, I don't know. There's something kind of neat about, like, that kind of, like, I guess that sort of era where you still, it's like, even though we're, like, in the 80s, you still have guys running around. Like, these rebel guys running around on horses with, like, rifles. It looks like it came straight out of, like, World War One. You know what I mean? And even in World War One, that would have seemed kind of old-fashioned because now you have people coming in with, like, you know, tanks and, you know, automatic machine guns and so on like that. But just the fact that these guys are able to, like, take down the Soviets with all their technology with, you know, in a sense, the bare essentials. Man, 
with just that spirit, that's that Afghani spirit. You that know? whole Mujahideen thing and us supplying them weapons and them not knowing, thinking Israel did it, and then using those against the Afghans, and then later, I mean, uh, Russians, and then later using those same weapons against us. <laughs> it's so it's weird watching this movie with the context of the future, especially with what's been going on in Afghanistan past couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I forgot Afghanistan played such a huge role in this. So, you know, Mujahideen and Taliban yeah. and all that stuff. Uh, not Taliban yet, but there's, they're around the, the seeds. Yeah, well, that, that, that's kind of that one. It, it, this one almost has that kind of like, you don't think much of it. Cause it's just that at that time period, that was just kind of like, Hey, that's kind of like the hot, you know, topic right now is Soviets invading, you know, the middle East and so on like that. And it's interesting to see. It's like almost like if you if you had like the double feature of watching The Living Daylights compared to Rambo Three and just the two different views of looking at it, you know? Because I know Rambo Three is kind of the other way around where the Afghans are kind of the bad guys and so on yeah. like that. And then it's like it changes up right there, like as as that movie's being finished up. It's like wait a second, <laughs> we switch sides all of a sudden. Oh, and well, Rambo Three's coming out still. Whatever, all America. Yeah, but um. But yeah, no, just every every location thing in this, you know, the action scenes are really cool. Even the very end where they you know take off on the plane and whatnot, and they kind of have like the the battle on top, which you can just tell it's like it's just two stuntmen just kind of hanging there on this like net sack of like all this opium and whatnot, fighting each other, hanging out the back very of the plane. Very suspenseful scene. Very suspenseful. Yeah. It really made me nervous actually the whole time watching it. Um. <sighs> I will say, though, when I was watching that scene again, I was like, you know what would have been kind of an interesting way to kind of go about it instead? Like, because what Bond does is when they're hanging up there, it's like, you know, he cuts the rope and then eventually all the opium packs and so on start slowly falling out and they're kind of knocking the other dude off and whatnot. But I think because there's that bomb that Bond placed in there. And granted, he does use it later on, so I, I, it makes sense why it's sort of saved. But I felt like it almost would have been that one that, like, as Bond, like, he should have cut the whole bag off and it just flew off with the other guy holding onto it and the bomb was in there and as he's flying off backwards it explodes with all the opium just exploding this big powdery dust just dude blows up you know bad guy explodes the opium explodes everything does and it just rains out like with you know fire i think that would have been kind of cool i mean grant he saves it and he uses it you know to save the dude from true lies as they're crossing <laughs> the bridge and you get a sweet model scene of that blowing up it was a pretty good but model um scene. which makes sense yeah, I, I just love a good model scene. That's like one of those ones. But um, I did think of for that one bad guy, that would have been the way to like send him off. Is almost like instead of him just falling to his death, not only does he fall, but he blows up with the. That would have been dope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no pun intended, or was it? I don't know. Um, yeah. So it's got that good classic '80s, like like you know, hey, they're they're using the drugs to pay for weapons. They fight their like rebel yeah, wars. Yeah, drugs are bad, kids. But, you know, when you need a little bit of extra firepower, it's okay to sell them. Just don't use them. With a post-credit scene by Nancy Reagan. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to fight the war on terrorism and on drugs. And we're going to win both. No, we're not. Um, so, anyway. Uh, yeah, so thanks for listening to this review of The Living Daylights. Uh, hope you like Bond because you're going to get more. Um, we're going to do, uh, what's the next one called? Oh, I, I, why is my brain not working? It is late, it's late. on my end. It's, it's very one late o'clock for you. Here. Um, but yeah. yeah, so we're going to do uh, License to Kill next. The last Timothy Dalton film, one of two. Um, really sad, but um, we're going to look mm-hmm. into that. The last one of the 80s, um, and right before yep. a new era, a new era of um, 
Pierce Brosnan and video games and all kinds of changes for the Bond franchise. So stay tuned for that. We got some other stuff coming up after uh, Bond. And of course, we'll transition into um, Halloween. You may have seen that I um, kind of teased something last year. I wasn't able to finish that series. I started the horror novice thing because I decided I didn't like doing videos by myself anymore. And I decided to do the podcast. And um, so, but I'm going to bring that back. And you, we've both watched a little bit of horror films. We're not completely novices, but I think we would have both agree that that's an era, that area that neither one of us are super well versed in. In the, in the yeah. horror movies? Well, I, that's one, when I grew up, I watched a copious mm-hmm. amount of horror movies. You know, it's, it's it's like in the last while, I don't watch nearly as much. Whenever I watch one, I feel like I remember exactly why I love it, but I just sometimes don't always get around to it yeah. nearly as much. But um, I, I'm looking forward to jumping back in and actually uh, watching through some stuff, whether we rewatch some classics or we watch something new that we've never seen. I, I'm totally down for a little horror marathon. Yeah, I like to do a little bit of both. And we it, it won't probably be the whole month, but I definitely want to get three or four um, little horror movies in there yeah. and kind of enjoy the time of year, enjoy Halloween and all that stuff. So we got a lot of that stuff coming up and also stay tuned for some other projects we got coming up. But, um, I, uh, any, uh, news on the, um, pizza boys front before we get out of here? Um, well, by the time this one's kind of up, I think I'll already have been at the, I'll be at the Stockton con in California mm. and so on selling some pizza boys wares. I got t-shirts. I got all kinds of prints of both, uh, three graphic novels, all 12 issues in single form, um, bells and whistles, novelty items. Got my Pizza Boys cutter and bottle openers, all the fun stuff to kind of go around. Yeah, I kind of got all kinds of cool things to go. You know, new banners and all kinds of stuff. So I got that going. Um, so you can always check out any good Pizza Boy stuff at oldmanorange.com. That's where you'll find the links to all that stuff. Learn more about the Pizza Boys series if you're into kind of sitcom style, indie comic book series. Hey, that's the one. If you like classic movies, you like retro video games, you like comic books and all the fun stuff in between, oh, well, there you I go. I missed the Pizza Cutter. Pizza Cutter is like that. That's like my one thing that I got because it's like where it's like I might want something that's very just like you know not just like anything, not just like a bookmark, not just like you know a, a poster or print and so on. And I found the pizza. I, th- I thought about when I was at like a pizza restaurant. And they had like the cutter just for like the serving one. Then they had like their logo on. I'm like, you know, if they can get one like this, if they can get a pizza factory one like this. I can get a pizza boys one like this. And then when I found it, I found a cutter, but it also had a bottle opener on it too. I'm like, oh, sold there. That's pretty dope. So, I'm gonna have to get me one of those actually. I'm pretty pumped about that. I, I still got long because I had to order like 200 and I think or like 250 of them. That was the downfall. It's one of those ones that like they had a minimum order, but I'm like, I have to have this. This is like that one item that will set me apart from like everything you know, else. Yeah, that's a very good call. <laughs> That's actually a very, very good call. So, well, all right. Well, thanks for listening to the Via VHS Retro Movie Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Via VHS. You can find us on Instagram at Via VHS Pod. Uh, so, go find us there. Um, but with that, uh, License to Kill is coming up next week. We got more Bond, and Via VHS is out.